Every once in a while, we have to address a controversy. And so today, I wanted to ask, how are we going to respond? Specifically, our sisters. How are our sisters going to respond if somebody asks them, why does Islam promote male leadership? Why do the men lead the prayer, give the Friday khutbah? Why is it that all of the Anbiya, all the prophets were men and they were all obviously leaders? Why is it that in the household, the man is promoted to the position of the leader of the household? How do we respond with confidence? Especially in this climate, in this day and age, how will our sisters have a sense of izzah and honor in their deen? Not feeling ashamed, not feeling shy on this issue, but rather feel proud about this. How can we do so? The most common response is, well, we're all equal in the eyes of Allah. We're all equal in the eyes of God, which is true. It's definitely true. Your reward for a deed depends on the level of sincerity, uh, the level of effort, sacrifice. It does not depend on your gender. So that's definitely true that we are all equal when it comes to the good deeds that we do. However, this is somewhat avoiding the question. Because even though it's very true that we're all equal in the eyes of Allah when it comes to our good deeds, at the same time, men are in fact placed in a leadership role in Islam when it comes to worldly issues. We can't avoid this fact with, unless we just completely disregard and neglect many ayat of the Qur'an and many ahadith from the Prophet Muhammad so how do we respond? Well, here is one attempt, inshallah ta'ala, so that we never have to feel shy. Our sisters never have to feel that they're in, you know, on the back foot or ashamed in any way. One attempt is to say this. We live in a day and age where there's lots of modern technology. And due to this modern technology, there has been the rise of countless dating apps and matrimonial websites. And in these websites and on these apps, people will submit their personal data and describe the mate that they're looking for. So they submit their own personal data and the type of things that they're interested in. With all of this data, we have been able to understand much more about what women are looking for in a man. And in general, these are generalities of course, when we talk about these issues, we have to speak in generalities. You'll find that in general, what do women want with regards to, let's say, education? Do you think they want a man who's less educated, equally, or more? Like, let's say, if a, sister, if a woman has, let's say, a bachelor's. Is she looking for a guy who just has a high school diploma, or a bachelor's, or maybe a master's and a PhD? I think most of us know the answer, that the woman is generally going to be looking for what? A guy who has more education. What about money? Less salary, a smaller salary, equal salary, or a higher salary? You will find that, in general, what women are looking for is a man who's making more money. What about height? A shorter man, an equally tall man, or a taller man? I think we all know the answer. Generally speaking, women are attracted to the guy who's taller. What about age? A younger, a younger man, equal age, or someone who's older, and generally speaking, therefore, more mature, right? With age comes maturity. You'll find the answer is more mature. What about strength? She's looking for someone stronger. She doesn't want somebody weaker than her or equally strong. She wants someone stronger. What about confidence? What about assertiveness? What about competence? What about accomplishments? What about resourcefulness? And, 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 and. You can keep on asking these questions, and the answers seem to be consistently, she's looking for someone that she can look up to. Someone that she can admire in all these different categories. Of course, there are some that will say, I'm the exception. Okay, fine, perhaps you are. But an exception doesn't change the rule. And so, 
Perhaps a very simple and easy answer that we can offer, sisters, I hope you can take this, is what? You can simply respond to the question about male leadership by saying, if I'm attracted to a man who's more educated and making more money and taller and older and more mature and stronger and more confident, assertive, competent, accomplished, resourceful, and so forth, then I'm looking for a leader. I'm looking for a leader. Therefore, if God taught our men to lead, it's because God knows what I want. Alhamdulillah, that's a good thing. I know what I want. I'm looking for a leader. So if Allah Ta'ala designed a system, this sharia, this deen that tells men, listen, I need to promote you and propagate you and push you to leadership positions, and then someone's saying, isn't that unfair? That's what women want. That's what they want. That's what they like. That's what they're attracted to. And so this is, I mean, you could give many different answers, but in my opinion, this is perhaps the easiest and most simple and most straightforward answer, especially for our sisters to offer and to say, the reason Allah Ta'ala did this is because that's what we like. Throughout the course of a marriage, Thousands of decisions are going to be made, and the vast majority, inshallah ta'ala, are going to be consensual. You know, men and women have to make decisions throughout a marriage, and hopefully you can come to a consensus. You know, okay, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What are we going to eat? Inshallah ta'ala, most of it is consensual between the man and the woman. However, every once in a while, there will be complete disagreement. The man says A, the woman says B, and that's it. Nobody's budging. How should we approach these circumstances? Of course, there are, you could say, three basic answers. Either... The man is in charge, he's the general leader. The woman is in charge, she's the leader. Or they have this equal partnership. Now, let's address this idea of equal partnership because it is most often said, well, I think we should just be equal in every way. The fact of the matter is, you never find two captains to a ship. You never find two presidents to a country. Why not? Because there's too much tension. Because there's constant competition. Everybody's always vying for that top spot. They're always you know, it's called tit for tat. No, no, you did this, now it's my turn to do that. Well, what about this, what about that? They're always keeping each other in check and, and counting every little detail and, and marking down every little mistake so that everything is 100% equal. I remember years ago, Barack Obama said that election season was always the most vicious and the most bloodthirsty time of the year in politics. Why? Because you've got two candidates who are so close to that top spot and as that election gets closer and closer, they become more and more vicious, taking shots at each other. I'm sure we're all familiar with it. That's when the, all the little nasty tricks come out. So they are vicious to one another at this time of election. And then what's amazing is that once the votes are in and once there is a clear leader of the country, that's when you find everybody uh, can finally relax. The tension goes away. Why? Because now everybody knows, look, there's no more fighting for that top spot. There's no two people in charge. One, one, one is the winner, one of them is going to now follow the leader, and therefore we do not have to have any sort of tension anymore. And so therefore, this idea of living in a perpetual, you know, you could say election state, or perpetual equality, is subhanAllah trying to live in perpetual competition and tension. This is a very good way to get divorced. This is a very good way to drive each other insane. I don't think that's a good option. So... Like I said, there's three options. One is that just, oh, 50-50 on everything. I don't think that's a good option, and I hope you can agree with that. Point number two is what? What about female leadership? What if the sister's in charge? Let's keep in mind what leadership really is. Leadership isn't about sitting on a throne and being showered with praise. That's dictatorship. Leadership is about service. There's a hadith which does have some weakness to it, but the meaning is definitely true, in which the Prophet said, Sayyidul Qawmi Khadimuhum, that the leader of a people is their servant. 
And again, this hadith, there's question as to whether it, the wording of it is authentic. But definitely in terms of meaning, we can see throughout the life of the Prophet ﷺ, his entire life as the leader of the ummah was in service of the ummah. He was the best of leaders, and his example is what? He didn't just sit back and enjoy luxury, quite the opposite. He was in constant service to the ummah because that's what a leader does. That's true leadership. That's what we know to be a true leader. Leadership is about being blamed when plans don't go as planned, when, th when things go awry, and the leader has to take responsibility and figure things out. Leadership is critical when disaster strikes, when everything's falling apart, when people are panicking and they're looking up to one person, the leader, for a solution. I think in the middle of any catastrophe, if a man looks to his wife and says, honey, what are we going to do? I think that's the moment where the truth comes out. She'd look right back at him and she'd respond, you're asking me? You fix it. You're the man. What does she mean by that? I think we all know. She's deep down, doesn't matter what, you know, what, what, what might be said prior to that, when the moment of disaster strikes and the truth comes out, you're the man, you figure it out. And alhamdulillah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a very natural sentiment. And it's the truth, that as a man, you need to step up and do the job of leading, especially in times of, uh, 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 of catastrophe. That's when leadership is most necessary. We don't even have to go that far. We don't even have to take it all the way to some sort of disaster moment. Sisters, if you're interested in a man for marriage, do you want to go to his house holding flowers and then explain to his mother that you're a good provider and that you could provide a house and a car? And then do you want to get down on one knee and then propose with an expensive ring and then take this man on a romantic honeymoon that you've planned that you've paid for? Let's be honest, the answer is no. No, because in general, you want him to take the lead. We all know this. This is common sense. There's nothing wrong with this. There are certain generalities about masculinity and femininity. Men are in the productive sphere. Women are in the reproductive sphere. Sisters, if you are burdened with carrying the babies, you shouldn't be burdened with carrying your husband. He's not a child. You shouldn't be burdened with all the decision-making and then being responsible if things don't go right. You shouldn't be burdened with the financial responsibility to earn for the family. That is upon the man. Not because I say so, but because Allah Ta'ala tells us, Allah Ta'ala says, men are the maintainers, maintainers and caretakers of women by right of what Allah has given one over the other and what they spend for maintenance from their wealth. That's the man's job. He's got to be the earner and the spender. And of course, it's always interesting, and I think it's important that we ask ourselves also, not just from the women's perspective, but from the men's perspective. We have to ask ourselves, what do men think about this? And so, in order to look at this, this is a little bit, you know, might be a little bit uncomfortable or controversial, but just for the sake of hypotheses, let's just get our minds thinking. Sisters, I'll ask you, if an effeminate man, a very effeminate man, very girly man, he proposes to you for marriage, would you be interested in a very effeminate man? If your answer is no, then that is your choice. And nobody has the right to tell you that you're wrong for feeling unattracted to a feminine man. Now, for the sake of consistency, if we look at the flip side, if men are also equally unattracted to a masculine woman, I hope we can be consistent and say that nobody has the right to tell that man you're wrong for feeling unattracted to a masculine woman. 
that's the way we feel. You have your right to feel how you want to feel, and we also have the right to say, look, I'm just simply not attracted to that. We have the right to say that. The media can push this idea of the, uh, the cougar, as they say, right? Which is this career-driven older woman who marries a young man and spoils him, takes him on fancy trips and buys him expensive gifts, and she leads in the relationship while being financially responsible for all the expenses. She's the boss, basically. They can, the, the media can push this idea on us as much as they want. However, the actual number of women who seek out such an arrangement is negligible, and it's negligible for an obvious reason, because women want the opposite of that. They don't want this. They want the opposite. So we have to remember, and we have to think about this. Sisters, if you want a man who's a winner out there in the world, then you have to make him feel like a winner in the home. Let him lead. Let him feel like a winner. You want him to be a winner out there. You want him to be successful in business and in, in, in finances and so forth. You want him to be a winner. You want him to be a man of stature, so forth. Okay, if you want him to be a winner out there, he has to be a winner in the home as well. Are you attracted to the type of man that needs constant micromanaging for every decision, needs to be told what to do? Or, sisters, are you attracted to the type of man who knows what's needed and simply gets the job done? I think it's fair to say that most sisters would say, no, I like the guy that knows what needs to be done and he can just do it. He doesn't need to be told like a child, constantly micromanaged. So you like a leader. There's no reason to feel ashamed of that or embarrassed by that whatsoever. If you want a man who's capable of running his own company, don't you think that such a man would want to run his own home? These are the type of questions we need to think about and hopefully, inshallah ta'ala, not to be ashamed of the fiqh of Islam. Inshallah, we'll continue in the second portion. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Muhammad wa ala alayhi wa sahbihi wa sallam, sima kathira. Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah. I know that these topics can be awkward. I don't particularly enjoy the awkwardness in the room. However, the fact of the matter is we're living in somewhat awkward times. And for us to simply ignore the reality around us is not doing, we're not doing ourselves any favors. We know that in schools, we find that children are being taught that there's no such thing as masculinity or femininity. In fact, they take it even further. There's no such thing as being a boy or a girl. They take it even further, subhanAllah. That even the basic biology, they say, no, no, none of that stuff matters. You can imagine what this does to young, impressionable children when their teachers are teaching them these types of things, pushing these types of ideas and getting them confused about even the most basic things. Are we going to simply ignore all this? Are we going to ignore the effects that is taking, the, the toll that is taking on our relationships because we don't have a clear concept of what is expected of us as men, as women? We don't understand how to raise our young boys into men. We're not focused on how to raise our young girls into women and how they can fulfill each other in the roles of marriage. I'd highly recommend, there's an interesting article online, it's called The Rise of the She-Economy. So instead of economy, she-economy, pretty clever. But anyway, it's called The Rise of the She-Economy. And it's, it mentions that based on the Census Bureau historical data and Morgan Stanley forecasts, 45% of prime working age women, that's the ages of 25 to 44, will be single by 2030. 45%, that's almost half, of all the women who are of marriageable and childbearing age, 25 to 44, that's, that's, that's the time that you, you know, have a family and have kids, etc. Half, roughly, of these women, by the year uh, 2030, because the numbers just keep on rising, they're projecting that it's going to rise up to 45%, which is the largest share in history, up from 41% in 2018. SubhanAllah, these numbers just keep climbing. What is going on with our society? 
Are men and women no longer interested in one another? Are they no longer able to find common grounds with one another? Are they no longer able to maintain a relationship with one another? What is happening? Now, obviously, this article is just talking about how companies are preparing for it. They're not trying to fix it. They're not trying to diagnose the issue. They don't care about you know, the actual ramifications on society. They're simply saying, how can we monetize? You know, now that we know that there's going to be lots and lots of single women that are you know, working for themselves and maintaining their own homes and so forth, how are we going to capitalize off of that? And you'll notice, anybody who's paying attention to, like, for example, television shows and movies will notice that there's a sharp rise in strong and independent female lead characters in movies and in television shows. And is that all just a coincidence? No, because people are preparing for the fact that the, this, this, is the, this is the demographic that keeps on growing in our society. So they keep on feeding to that demographic. They keep on playing movies and shows and so forth that cater to that audience. So they're just trying to capitalize as opposed to actually take a look and see if there's something that needs to be fixed. Well, that's not what the believer does. The believer sees something happening in society and asks, is this something that is good? Is this a problem? Should we fix it? We know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Don't wish for that which Allah has made some of you exceed others. Don't wish that you could have what the other person has. For men is a share of what they have earned, and for women is a share of what they have earned. And ask Allah of his bounty. Indeed, Allah is ever, of all things, he is knowing. We have different strengths. Allah Ta'ala is telling us, look, you have different strengths, you have different weaknesses, and you can build together beautiful families, societies, if you embrace. And of course, I'm not saying in a super rigid way where there's no room for any uh, differences. We're not robots. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, no, men have to be one way only, and women have to be one way only, that's it. There's only one function. But no, there's a general spectrum. What does it mean to be masculine? What does it mean to be fe feminine? These general spheres need to be respected. And really, we have to remember that even when something is called traditional, what does that really mean? Well, you know, when we talk about the traditional home, the traditional family, what does it mean that something is traditional? What it means is that we have a long human history, and throughout human history, people have been trying different, various ways of arranging their families and societies and lifestyles. Many of these new ideas fail. Many arrangements fail. Some of them succeed. Some of them are passed on generation after generation because of how effective they are. Therefore, Whichever ideas, whichever arrangements, whichever family structures work the best and that succeed generation after generation and keep on producing positive results, they get upgraded and entitled what? Traditional. So if something is traditional, you might want to ask yourself, what's so good about it? And is it really wise to take traditional values and just throw them out the window and not ask yourself, wait a second, why did they become traditional? Why were they working for so long? How have they been so successful for all these years, thousands of years just of success? And I'm really going to throw all that away and think I know better? Am I, is that really a wise move? You might want to be a little bit more cautious is the point. I understand that women are sometimes uncomfortable acknowledging that they are attracted to, let's say, male leadership because it puts them in a vulnerable position. And our culture is teaching us that women should be independent and never vulnerable, especially towards a man. However, let's keep in mind that anything you invest in makes you vulnerable to that thing. For instance, investing in a degree gets you in debt with no guarantee that you'll get a job that will pay off that debt. It's a certain level of vulnerability. Anything you attempt, and there's actually a very nice quote. I've mentioned this quote before, 
and I hope you can remember it, inshallah ta'ala. It's a very, uh, one of, it's, a, it's a favorite quote of mine. It says, you can't protect yourself from sadness without protecting yourself from happiness. What does that mean? You can't protect yourself from sadness without protecting yourself from happiness. It means, for instance, you could say to yourself, I'm going to protect myself from heartbreak by never falling in love, but the problem is what? You never fall in love. So yeah, you're protecting yourself from the heartbreak, which is the negative, the sadness, but you're also what? Shielding yourself from happiness because you're never going after love. Same thing with friends. Oh, I'll protect myself from ever being betrayed by a friend. So you know what I'll do? I'll just never make friends. Okay, then you'll never have friends. That's the problem. You know, and you can take this to the extreme. I never want to fail at anything, so I'll just never do anything. I'll just never, I'll never attempt. I'll never really put myself out there because if I try, I could fail. So I'll just never do anything, and then I'll never fail. Yeah, okay, but you can't protect yourself from sadness without protecting yourself from happiness as well. So, yes, with marriage, with children, with family comes a certain level of vulnerability. But you have to. You have to, unless you want to sabotage your life and end up alone. This is, this is not a good alternative. I'll finally end it off with one story, inshallah ta'ala, that I thought was quite uplifting. Uh, I think it was about one or two years ago. I can't remember exactly. Maybe let's say one and a half years ago, something like that. There was a, a mother, she came up to me and she had her young daughter with her. And she came up to me at, uh, it was an Eid party, people were running around eating, and I think I was just sitting there eating cake or something, I can't remember what I was doing. But it was a very nice sunny day, and she comes up with her daughter, she goes, my daughter has a question. And she was a young girl. And she goes, I go, go ahead, what's the question? She goes, why is it that the men lead the prayer? Why do the men lead the prayer? And of course it's a kid, and so you, know, you have to give a simple, you know, easy answer, right? So I think about it for a second, and then I say, well, let's ask your mother. And I turn to the mother, and I say, do you want your husband to be a follower or a leader? And alhamdulillah, I was so glad to see that the mother smiled immediately, got the point immediately, and then she pumped her fist and said, leader, mashallah, I was so happy to see that she got the point immediately. She goes, of course, I want my man to be a leader. And that was a sense of izzah. She didn't say it reluctantly. She didn't say it with a sense of embarrassment. She said it with a sense of pride. That alhamdulillah, there's nothing wrong that Islam tells our men that you're going to lead. Why? Because that's what we like. We want our men to take the lead, to be in charge. And I'm sure every mother is teaching their sons, you're one day going to be the head of a household. You're going to have to earn for your wife and kids. You're going to have to take care of them. You're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to be that rock that they can depend upon. That's a healthy thing to teach young men, as opposed to telling them, no, no, there's no difference between men and women, it's all the same, and you know, nobody depends on you, nobody needs you, everybody needs themselves, and it's all just, you know, just a miserable, lonely world. SubhanAllah, no, no, let's teach our young men to lead, and this is exactly what this sharia, this beautiful sharia teaches us. So may Allah Ta'ala make us of those who always have a sense of izzah for our Islam. May Allah Ta'ala make us of those that whenever these controversial issues come up, we can answer with so much pride and happiness in our deen, knowing that Allah Ta'ala knows His creation perfectly and has given us guidance that perfectly fits who we are. May Allah Ta'ala make us men that lead with the prophetic model. I'll say that again. May Allah Ta'ala make us of those who are men that lead our families with the prophetic model, that lead with a sense of khidmah, service, and self-sacrifice for our families. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen.